0: Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message.
1: Good morning, New Life. Pastor David, thank you so much for the privilege of being here this morning. It is humbling to stand before you today. When we were having worship this morning, uh, man plans his, uh, his ways, but the Lord directs his steps, right? Orders his steps. Um, I'm going to go a little bit off script, and I don't usually do that. Uh, but I really felt like the Lord, while we were worshiping, I just, um, I just kept hearing that verse where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom all through the beginning of worship. And then we ended with that song, come rest on us. If we took that to heart if the Holy Spirit was resting on us and we moved and we lived in that freedom that only comes from Jesus, what could that look like for our communities, for our families? And um, we're missionaries to Belgium. I'm missing, like, all of the things. Uh, my name is Tori. This is my husband, Richard. Our daughter, Carisse is here, and uh, she's enjoying the kids' ministry. She, uh, she already loves the space. She walked in and she's like, whoa, this is great. So she's having a grand old time over there. And uh, the Lord has blessed us with the opportunity of living and serving in Belgium. And um, I'm sure the first thing you thought of when you heard that country's name is probably chocolate. Yeah, Yeah, okay, same, (laughs) until I lived there that was the biggest thing for me too. And we actually have imported Belgian chocolate that will be at our table that you can grab at the end of service, because we want to bless you and give a little taste of uh, Belgium to send home with you. So please come and stop by um, back there and uh, say hello. We would love to to meet you and talk with you. And um, Belgium has, uh, a very complicated, it's a very complicated country. There's three languages, national languages. Did you guys realize that? Did anyone know that? Dutch, French, and German. And um, the lines for where that is, is pretty like, pretty crazy. We live pretty close on the border of the French speaking and the Dutch speaking. And God has really burdened our hearts for the Dutch speakers. And um, it can be pretty complicated living in that country. And when you think about Europe as a whole, you don't really think about it really being a mission field because every major city, there's these beautiful, grand cathedrals. There were missionaries sent from Europe um, for a long time. There's a lot of church history that takes place there. But the reality now is they need that freedom that we sang about. They need that because less than... on Europe as a whole has less than 3% of their population claiming a personal relationship with Jesus. In Belgium, it's 1.5%. Yeah, Um, so when God really started opening the door for us, we were just faced with the reality of the need there. And just being light in a darkness, changing our context to one that is darkness and that your light shines that much brighter and we were just so challenged when we first moved there in that. And I've been doing some anti-human trafficking work um, in Belgium for the last two years. And something that was really interesting for me that I didn't realize, when you're in a different context, there's, there's things that you take for granted are not common knowledge or that everyone uh, holds as, like a, as, a, as a common belief. And you don't realize how many things there are. And for me, one of the things that I found out about is that in certain Eastern European countries is women are told and girls are told at a young age that prostitution is the unpardonable sin. Now for some of these women, there's some choice involved when I work with the human traffic, anti-human trafficking work, but sometimes it is not. And those lies that they hear at such a young age take such deep root in their hearts and so instead of feeling this sense of hopelessness which they do they feel this sense of hopelessness that there is this impassable barrier to God because they have heard these lies about our merciful God they just choose to embrace atheism it's easier to not live with the guilt to not live with the hopelessness or the shame they embrace atheism there is no God because if the if he is if this was not my choice if i am here and there's nothing that i can do about it then it's easier for me to just wipe my hands of it and not even not even believe and that's the reality for many of the women that i serve and men actually men too and it's while it's not the same situation There's a lot of uh, native Belgians who, because of church hurt, they also have these mental blocks, these barriers to God because of abuse and things that have happened in the past. And um, not only is there, like... uh, neutral feelings. It's literally like an antagonism. There's a lot of people who, when they do come to know the Lord, there's this sense in their families that you've, uh, we've evolved beyond this. So why are you going backwards? We've progressed so far. We don't need to rely on God who we can't see. We can rely on ourselves. We can rely on our science. We can rely on whatever. God created science. So it's, you know, (laughs) all the things that we study with science he created, but they, they don't have that, um, they, they have this, uh, this experience where a lot of times they get rejected from their families. But we're believing for a better future for Belgium. We're believing for a better future for Europe. And our prayer lines up with the scripture that we're gonna be reading this morning in Lamentations, Jeremiah's, um, Jeremiah's prayer, Lamentations 5, 21.
0: So it's a short scripture, um, and when we were praying uh, about what, we, what God wanted us to do today, um, when he showed us Lamentations, we were like, oh great, a joyful book, right? It's a book all about joy. Um, lamentations are this crying out, this pleading, and truthfully, this verse is not just what we felt God giving us for today, but it's really our heart for Europe as a whole. This is the verse, really, that God gave us when we started this journey of missions. And it says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Renew our days as of old. Lamentations has five chapters. It's a a short book. And the majority of the chapters, chapters 1 through 4, are uh, Jeremiah crying out and and lamenting, worrying about what's been going on with his country, with Israel. And we get to chapter 5, and it's the first time in the whole book that he directly addresses God himself. The rest of the time, it's a lot more general lamenting, but here he directly laments to God himself himself. And in this, in this time, what, he's, what he said in the previous verses is he's saying, God, we're repenting. We want to change. We're desiring to see change in this world. We're desiring to see change in Israel and in our lives. And then he ends with, with two, two verses. This is the second to last verse of the book where he says, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. This is his cry of his heart to God saying, we are so far gone, but please, please turn back to us. Please restore us. I think sometimes we can look at uh, New England or even our own personal lives with our families and our friends and we say, God, how far have we fallen? How far from you have we gone? You have places here in New England, like Providence, Rhode Island, that the town is named after something religious, something about God. There's churches everywhere. There's churches all over this country, all over this part of the country. And we, I often wonder, because I'm from Colorado and moved here, and I'm like, God, where did all that history go? what have we done, how far have we fallen from what you intended this place to be? Because that's what it was, is it was intended to be a haven for Christians. It was intended to be a place where people could serve God freely without any worry. It was, it was seen as almost like a new, uh, a new Jerusalem almost, a place where God's people could seek him freely. And yet now it's one of the most unchurched regions of the entire United States. And it has a lot of similarities with Europe. It has a lot of those same similarities. But God, what, he, what, what Jeremiah does here is he says, we recognize all these things, we recognize our sin, we recognize what we've done, and he gives his plea to God, he prays to God, restore us. This word restore is to turn back or to return. It literally means to turn around. And it's saying, God, we've forsaken you, and so you've forsaken us, but please turn back to us. Return back what you have done in our lives. Return us back to you. It's his cry of his heart for this. And it's not just this, Hey, God, it'd be nice if you, if you turned around, if you looked back to us, if you, if you turned back to us. It's this, in the Hebrew, it's a very, it's almost like a command. But it's, it's this begging, this pleading of saying, God, please, please turn back to us. We need you to turn back to us. They have this feeling in the last verse, in verse 22, where it says that he, I don't have it on the screen, but it it talks about this idea of they feel that God has utterly rejected them, that he's forsaken them. And they're saying, and, and Jeremiah is saying, God, please turn back to us and don't let us be forsaken and forgotten. Restore us back to you. It says, again, this whole chapter is talking about that, that Jeremiah is saying, we're turning from our sins, we're turning from what we've done. Please bring us back to you. And my question uh, that I want to ask with this is, what are the things maybe in our lives that we need to turn from, that we need to turn ourselves from so that we can see God turn back to us? And I don't necessarily mean that as a sin issue, though that may be the case. What can we do to show the people around us that God can turn back to them? How can we situate our lives so that people look at us and they say, there's something different about you. There's something that you have that I'm missing. Where they look and say, and and realize there's something different. And a lot of that happens because of some of the things that we we sang about today, about the Holy Spirit coming. He puts that, that, that's the difference in our life is that the Holy Spirit leads it. The Holy Spirit moves us in the things we say, the things we do, the things we don't say, and the things we don't do. When we stand out, that's when people turn to God. Because if people are walking away from God and they see you, they don't see God. But if they see you because you're walking towards God, that means they're starting to turn around and walk towards God themselves. We can be that difference in their lives. We can be God in the lives of those around us, our friends, our family, whoever it may be. In the last part of the verse, it says, renew our days as of old. Renew our days as of old. This word renew is nothing short of bring us back to life. You see, people who don't know Jesus aren't just asleep or they don't just need to be woken up. They're dead. They need to be brought back to life. In the New Testament, they tell a story, there's a story about Paul, and it talks about him walking through the streets and that his shadow would heal people. He doesn't touch them. He doesn't even pray for them. Just his presence and God's presence in him changed the lives of people. That's what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to go into our families. He's calling us to go into our jobs. He's calling us to go uh, into our community in general and to just be life change. To show what God has done in us. My favorite verse in all of scripture, again, we're a little off script today, but my favorite verse in all of scripture is Revelation 12, 11. For they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they love not their lives even unto death. What if all of us would leave this place with that as our mentality? That when we walk into any store or any place, we say, God, let my testimony change lives. The testimony of what you have done in my life. And they're pleading with God They're pleading and asking him to move once again. And it says, restore us to our days of old. Most likely this idea of days of old refers back to the the building of the temple, the the temple where God dwelt. And it's it's saying restore and bring back those days where we were in close proximity with God, close relationship with God. Bring us back to that point, because unless you get to that point, you can't be life to the people around you. This year, this year, God challenged me to spend more time in prayer. Now, you guys don't know me, but I like sleep. Does anyone else like sleep? Yeah, a few people. I love to sleep. So waking up early is hard for me. It's not something I like to do. But this year, God challenged me. He said, I want you to wake up at six every morning. Now, for some of you, that might just be normal. But for me, that's a struggle. I like sleep. But God wanted me to wake up for one purpose, to pray, to spend time with him, to do what Jeremiah is doing for the people of Belgium, for the people here in New England, he wanted me to get up and pray for the people that he's trying to reach, that he's going to reach through us, through each and every one of us. I'm not here to say you need to start waking up early to pray. That's, that's not my point with this. But what is God asking you to do? to to move in your life so that you can see God move in the lives of the people around you. It may be more prayer time. It may be more Bible reading. It may be spending more time in worship. It may be all sorts of things. But whatever it is, what is God saying, spend more time with me so that we can see people changed? Corey's going to uh, share a story. Uh. So one of the really cool things
1: about working with people um, in that context with my anti-human trafficking work is seeing God moving. Um, it can be very slow going. There's a lot of, as you kind of heard earlier, there's a lot of barriers and there's a lot of trust issues. But this past year, as in last year, um, God has really been doing a really special work in our ministry center. And last March, we were going through a Bible study um, through the book of Matthew. And we got to the story of the prodigal son. And there was a woman who we've had a relationship with for probably like 10 years. People at our center, I have only been there for for two, but other of my colleagues have been ministering and um, sharing the gospel with this woman for, for a decade. And um, because of the lies that she was told as a young girl, because of the stigmas of where she finds herself, she was very resistant to the gospel. She um, heard it dozens of times over the years, and yet it never sunk in because there was this, like, blindness. The enemy had blinded her to the truth, and her heart was not softened, and as we're going through the story of the prodigal son, it was literally like a cartoon where she had this, like, a light bulb moment. We're having this discussion, and the Holy Spirit just falls in this place, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So when we were in this discussion and as we were reading the word and studying, it was like the Holy Spirit was softening her heart and all of those lies were starting to fall away. And she saw this merciful father who ran to the prodigal son, not just let him in the door begrudgingly, ran and embraced with mercy and grace. And she said, if he was not too far gone, maybe there's hope for me. And so that day, she gave her heart to Jesus. And it was so cool to see that after 10 years, we got to see fruit from that. And circumstances in her life did not change overnight. That's not usually how things work in this particular ministry. But she was changed in the midst of those circumstances. And when people change, people notice. So some of her friends who also come to our ministry center, they started noticing there's something different about you. They weren't there that night. They came on the other night. And they're like, what do you mean? You gave your heart to Jesus? Yeah, last week at our Bible study. Oh, you mean there is hope for us? We can have life change? That, that month, three other people saw the testimony of her life. And Jesus and became Christians and believers in Jesus. And all of those lies were starting to just melt away. And it is just so beautiful to get to see the Holy Spirit doing work. Because they saw the transforming love and forgiveness that the truth about who Jesus
0: is brought. So one of the, the struggles that a lot of new Christians in Belgium deal with is that they are rejected from their families, their friends, their jobs, their coworkers. There's a lot of rejection that happens when you become a Christian. And so a lot of them don't really know where to go or, or what to do next when they become a Christian. And in Belgium, if you can put up the, the two bean jars. Yeah, uh, I'm going to stand on the, on the side. The bean jar on the left represents Belgium, and the bean jar on the right represents the United States. The dark beans are people who haven't heard the gospel or don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. The white beans are people who do. As Tory had said, 1.5% of Belgians have a personal relationship with Jesus. Within the Flemish community, northern Belgium, there is a Pentecostal church and they make up about 40 churches with about 15 people in each, and the majority have no pastor. That's roughly 600 Pentecostals within a population of 6.9 million. So when someone gets saved, it's difficult for them to find a community where they can, in essence, have a family because their own families rejected them. It's a struggle to find that. And for these communities, for these churches, one of their biggest struggles is that lack of a pastor because there's no one to lead and to guide the congregation, to guide the people that have just become Christians who are learning these things for the first time. They have no one to really help guide them, let alone find a place where they might have other Christians. And it's a struggle. It's, it's a struggle for a lot of new believers And so what we're going to be doing is when we go back, um, I'm going to be teaching at the local Bible college. It's Continental Theological Seminary. It's right outside of Brussels in the Flemish area. And I'll be teaching classes there. But our primary goal, our primary goal in Belgium is going to be church revitalization. Because God promised, Jesus promised that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so in a, in, in a country where 1.5% of the people are Christian, I still believe that God's going to build his church. He's not going to just push aside what's there and do something new. He's going to do new stuff too, but he's also going to restore. He's going to bring life back to those churches. And he's going to fill those churches with pastors. He's going to bring people that have been called to serve their communities, to serve their neighbors, to serve the places where they're going. Uh, I forget which picture it was. Can you put up the, the picture of the church? Yeah. We're going to be living in this city. This, the name of this city is called St. Peter's Leu, which literally translates to St. Peter's Lion. This church sits in the middle of the city, empty. There's no one that attends this church. There's no one there that, that has a, a personal relationship coming like we are on a Sunday morning or, or on a service of some kind to be able to hear from God. Our prayer is that we can step into that community that's full of darkness and be light. That's what God has called all of us to do, though. It's not just us in Europe. With the bean jars, the one on the right, I'm sorry, I'm going all over the place again. The one on the right represents the United States. 27% of Americans have a personal relationship with Jesus. And it's even less here in New England. But that means roughly, Every four people you meet, three of them probably do not know Jesus, do not have a personal relationship. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to move through us, to be able to to show us, God, who needs to hear your word today? Who Who really needs that touch? Who's ready to receive that touch from you today? it's important to have that so that wherever we go, whether it's the grocery store, whether it, wherever it may be, wherever God has placed us, we're able to serve him. And so what I wanna do to, to close, there's just two things that I wanna do for closing. The first is I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you to spend time this week on your knees before God. Saying, God, who have you put in my life? Because no one is there by accident. God puts us in places so that we can serve in the way that he has called us to, to serve the people that he's trying to reach, that he's working on their hearts. Wherever you go, it is not an accident. He has something there for you. So be praying this week, saying, God, who are you calling me to? Who are you asking me to serve? And I want to close by praying for for your pastor. We have seen the struggles of what it is to have a church with no guidance, with no pastor, with people trying to just kind of keep it together. Pastors are people who are called by God to help guide and serve a community. They are a blessing beyond what, what I can even explain. God has called pastors for a purpose. And we want to pray for your pastor today as we close, if you wouldn't mind coming up. And I would ask for you as the congregation, if you would stand with me and stretch out your hands. God, we thank you so much for Pastor David, for the call that you have put on his life, for the call that you have, have led him to for this church. God, I pray for all of the pastoral staff, for everyone here working with the kids, the youth, uh, with the adults, with uh, with every area of ministry at this church. God, I pray that you would fill them with vision, vision for the future of what you're doing in Enfield, of what you're doing in new life. God, it is... It's hard for me to see it as a coincidence that you want to talk about new life today when we're in new life. God, you have positioned new life to bring life to this community. And God, I pray that that you would move through the pastors, that you would move through Pastor David to show them creative ideas on how to reach the community, creative ideas on how to, to best interact. And God, I just pray that you would soften the hearts of this community to hear your word. God, I pray that that this would be a place of prayer for this community, a place that, that seeks your face for the people who have never heard of you or have just flat out rejected you. God, I pray that you would soften hearts and that wherever this church walks, wherever each person from this church walks, life would be planted. New life would be planted. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.